Good morning, good evening, good night, wherever, however, and whenever you're listening. Welcome to another episode of The Melanie Report. I'm your host, Marquise Lupton, and we have another dope, jam-packed show for you today. It's Wednesday, so you know we have a great interview lined up for you today. Today, we have none other than Thomas Singe. Who is Thomas? Well, I'm glad you asked. Stick around and you'll get to know who this wonderful brother is. Also... If you haven't had the chance to listen to part one of this week's podcast with Dr. Kimika Campbell discussing our top five headlines of the week, then I implore you to take a listen. Again, our guest today is Thomas Senge. Thomas, how you doing today, man? I am doing wonderful, brother. Oh, man. Great to have you here. Great to have you here. Uh, hope the hope the ride wasn't too bad driving up. Absolutely. It was a very smooth ride. Uh, <laughs> dig it. Dig it. So... Yep. Uh, so look, man. Let's uh, jump jump right into this. Um, can you share a bit about your uh, background and your uh, your your migration here to the U.S.? Absolutely. Um, again, thanks for having me. Yes, and, sir. Uh, but uh, so my story started in a, a small country in West Africa, Sierra Leone. Mm. Um, I was born and raised, and uh, at the age of 26, um, miraculously, it just happened that I won the green card lottery. And uh, <laughs> <laughs> Exactly. And the way it happens was it was a very funny kind of April Fool joke that really led to the actual thing happening. Really? Exactly. So um, I was at the university with my friends, and, um, you know, I always try to, well, for some reason, they think uh, I'm always, uh, like, the smart one, quote-unquote, here. But uh, <laughs> I always try to, like, find a way, you know, to, like, navigate my way around them. But yeah. uh, so this day they had this brilliant idea of, like, how can we play, uh, pull an April Fool joke on him? I was like, <laughs> okay. So I got a call at 11 midnight. <laughs> who would think? <laughs> who, who would think the embassy will call you? Right. Like, that, that, that was like. I mean, how? how can, I mean, but anyways, they pulled that very well. So, um, so two of my friends, the one actually said, "Mr. Something Robinson from the United States Embassy," and I've won the green card. And I tell you, brother. I jumped out of our room because, I mean, it was seven of us guys in the same room. I yeah. jumped out of that room and standing out there dancing in the, <laughs> in the middle of the night. And all of them were just sitting there dying. <laughs> I'm like, guys, you're not happy I'm going to the U.S. And uh, they're like, oh, we're so excited for you, you know. And then um, the following morning, they're like, oh, you have to come to the embassy. And this was like maybe a 10, 15 minutes drive from where I live. Mm -hmm. And uh, I had to rush to get public transportation and all of that. So throughout that night, I didn't even sleep. I was just like trying so to excited. Think, exactly. <laughs> what is it that I need to like? I want to put on my A game to yeah. be there. Um, so I showed up and uh, actually before I left, one of my friends was like, hey, I don't think it's a good idea to go. I was like, what do you mean? Like, this is a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity. Yeah, like, why not? Like, exactly. And it was like, it was an April Fool. I'm like, ah. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> I went back home, and uh, um, it took, I think, almost a week. Mm -hmm. I was just like, okay, I just need some space. I want to be by myself. You guys, I mean, this is the worst you can ever do to me. Yeah. Um, shortly after, I got the actual call from someone, like, because... The way it happened was someone just came around, took my photo, and played on my behalf. Two years go wow. by. Exactly. Two years go by, and it was like, I've been looking for you. I was like, what do you mean? He says, you've won the green card. I was like, 
come on, man, April Fool's is over. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Let's put that away. And he was like, um, no, it's not April Fool's. It's serious. And uh, wow. yeah, so by that time, I already had a friend whose uh, family is from Lancaster. Mm-hmm. And uh, I helped him while he was in Sierra Leone. So I reached out to him. I was like, hey, Nate. I got this information. Someone reached out and said, I want this green card thing, and I have no idea what it is. Can you help me look into it? So we went back and forth looking into it and everything, and uh, I got to pay, I think, almost uh, $1,300 in order for that information to be released to me. So I got that and uh, went through the interview process. I mean, I can tell you... um, one of the most challenging aspects of coming to the U.S., of course, the anxiety of what's going to look like and everything, it's not there. I think the process itself, the scrutiny that you have to go through. Mm. Can you imagine, like, someone, they just tell you, go to this place, submit this specimen, we, you need to complete this test, and you will not see the results. It goes directly to the embassy, and that is part of the process Mm -hmm. that would determine if you will be granted a visa or not. Oh, wow. mm -hmm. So how long did you have to wait? Um, uh, The entire process was around almost five months. Sheesh. Yeah. I went to the interview, and after the interview, I had to wait for all my medical to be sent to um, the the embassy. Mm -hmm. And then once they review all of that, um, they finally will call you and let you know exactly what the outcome is. But it's just like a, a game of the blind. You just keep going. You don't even know what you're doing. Mm-hmm. And uh, in my case, what I did was it was a really, really, I gamble a lot on this because I used my entire school fees for that year. Oh. And just poured that into this process. Oh, so this was like a leap of faith for you. Basically. Wow. I was just like, okay, I'm about to jump and no parachute, but I'm going wherever I land, yeah. let it be. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, um, thankfully, I landed in Lancaster, Pennsylvania. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So then um, let's uh, uh, backtrack a little bit because uh, I'm, I'm really intrigued uh, about this. Um, you you winning a green card. Yep. Um, first question, how, how do you win a green card? And then... What's what's that process like? Do you do, do you have to go down to the embassy and, and, and apply for it? Like, yeah, please. Yeah. Um, so, like I said, um, the way it's done in Sierra Leone is um, the one of the requirements is you are must at least attend some sort of a high school diploma. Okay, that is like a core, and then beyond that, there is also I mean the health factor. They mm-hmm. want to make sure that there is nothing of a public health risk and all of that. And then obviously security aspect in terms of you're not part of uh, some group that might yeah. be a potential risk. Um, but the way it was done was I went to the university after I got my acceptance. Mm-hmm. This gentleman just showed up with a camera. I was like, hey, I played the DV, which is the diversity lottery. Mm-hmm. He said, I play for people. Would you be interested? I mean, this is something that everyone wants to do. So wow. I was like, you know what? Like we said, leap of faith. I'm going to give this a try. I'm not sure exactly how it's going to happen. But yeah. Let's just do it. So um, I basically fill out this form that was given to me, including a, a photograph that was taken. Mm-hmm. And that was in 2011. Mm. I didn't hear back from this person until 2013. Wow. Wow. So so during this two-year process, uh, was was this like heavily on your mind or was it something like, uh, set it and forget it? It was gone. Like, uh, 
completely in the air and I was like, ah, it wasn't even, that was the reason why, of course, with the, the, the way the April Fool joke kind of mm-hmm. came into it. But uh, yeah. when he actually called me, I was like, hey, this is real. I'm like, come on, man. <laughs> <laughs> you guys are at it again. Exactly. <laughs> April Fools. I just put that away. <laughs> but um, he says, look, if, um, if you like, I would come to where you are, which at that point I was at the University of Sierra Leone. So he actually went there with a, a brown envelope mm-hmm. and uh, he says this is your package as they call it it's your package if you're interested then here you go and uh he didn't release the entire information obviously because i have to pay thirteen hundred dollars in order for me to get um the alien number it's called alien oh. number yes yeah, so that is the number that is given to you Throughout the process. Yeah. That is like my name, identification, and everything. Mm. Um, so he says, if you want the alien number, um, you have to pay this amount. And obviously, that was when I had to reach out to my friend here. I was like, hey, I need help in yeah. getting through with this. Um, I tap into that. I also tap into my school fees and just like, you know what? This is a leap of faith. Yeah. You know, you die once. Let's just jump. <laughs> Yeah. So then um so then c- can you take us to the day that that you got that phone call and they're like all right this is it. Yeah. That moment, man, I can tell you. Um so when I went to the interview, I, of course after they've gathered all the information they needed, depending on uh, what they've gathered, mm-hmm. that interview could last from either 10 to 30 minutes or sometimes even they'll have to reschedule. Yeah. In my case, it was complete the complete opposite. They already have everything. I went in front of, uh, I remember this lady, and uh, we sort of chatted a little bit, just like really basically looking at uh, what's my perspective to the socioeconomic situation of Sierra Leone at that time mm. and uh, what truly is pushing me to leave Sierra Leone. I told her, frankly, I was like, I don't really have... Uh, any motivation outside of just being curious. I want to see what's out there, yeah. you know, explore. Um, so after that, she says, um, it's time for the interview. And I was like, oh, I thought we were in. He said, no. So now I had to take the oath and do the whole nine yard again. Sheesh. Um, man, I'm <laughs> telling you. But before then, in front of me, because, I mean, it's very open. They have this open lobby, and you pretty much, you don't get to hear what the discussion is to a certain extent, but you get to see what's going on. Mm-hmm. Um, there was a, a prominent uh, politician who was ahead of me, who was also at the embassy to interview for a visa, and he was denied. And oh, I'm wow. sitting there, I'm like, okay. If the politician <laughs> got denied. He got denied. Like, <laughs> it's time. Like, right. What am I doing here? And so she says, um, the in- there were two questions. I, I was asked two questions. My interview was probably the shortest interview I've ever been to. Um, two questions? Two. The first one was my dad's occupation. The second was where I live. And I know, I mean, now I think I have a, a sort of explanation as to why, because they've already gathered all the evidence they need for them to make that decision. Okay. At this point, it was just like, okay, let's see who the person is and yeah. just verify some of this information. But... Um, so she says, um, we'll get back to you in um, two weeks. Mm-hmm. And I left the embassy and, you know, again, with the same mind and just like, quite frankly, I wasn't optimistic at all. 
having witnessed a politician, influential person who has money and has everything denied, yeah. and who I am, me, I forget it. <laughs> <laughs> no waste of time here. But um, immediately after um, the, the, I think three days later, I got a call, but uh, my phone was off, and mm. uh, they left a voice message. I didn't bother to go back and check my voice message, and I was like, okay. Um, I'm not, I think a week later, after that first initial call, I got another call. I was like, they said it's the embassy that they've been trying to get hold of me. And I was mm-hmm. like, like, can you come in tomorrow at 11? I was like, ma'am, say no more. I'll be <laughs> 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 so I went in and uh, they, in fact, my file was already um, sort of shelf somewhere behind because since they've tried to get hold of me, they just like put it somewhere. So the mm-hmm. lady was just walking around because they have this open space. I saw there. She was walking around trying to find the folder where my file was. I, I can't find. Um, so this lady came from another room and held this brown envelope and she says, uh, "Congratulations." Oh, man. man, that is the best congratulations of my life. I was like, <laughs> yo, is this happening? And I, of course I didn't. The, the envelope that was given to me, it was sealed. They tell you, mm-hmm. do not open this until you arrived in the U.S. and hand it over to um, the, the immigration service. Mm. They will be the one to open it, and then you take it from there. Yeah. So the only thing I had access to at that time was my passport with the visa on it. Mm. Man, I'm telling you, it was uh, where the embassy is located to where we normally get transportation, public transportation. It's probably like a five, ten minute drive mm-hmm. um, on a hot, sunny day. I think it was somewhere around 100 plus degrees. Oh. I felt like taking any means of transportation outside of me running would slow me down. (laughs) You're ready to go. I was like, man, I was running. Cars would come and pass me by, but for some reason I thought they they are slow. (laughs) (laughs) Me and my envelope, and I got to the um, the bus stop, and uh, you know, I shoved myself in this public transport and uh, uh, went home. And uh, all my friends were sitting there, and I didn't even say much to them that time. Mm-hmm. And I just walked directly in the room, and of course, hit that envelope where even no, even ear can even see, right. not even lights <laughs> under the bed. Because <laughs> <laughs> at this point, uh, the well, now I have the visa. The next question is buying the plane tickets yeah. and things like that. So there's a lot that is involved, and you know, interestingly. Because of the chance that I took, I didn't really explain all of the details to my family. So no one knew what was going on. This was just me solely going about this entire process. Of course, with my friend Nathan, who was here, I was like, he was the only one. So got back. Um, now I'm contemplating, who should I call first? Because my mom lives in the provinces. And uh, should I call my mom first? And, but if I tell her now, then she's going to go back and give a testimony in church. And everyone will know. Everyone will know. Like, <laughs> like, you know, what? I'm going to hold on to this. This, yeah. is, this is not me, but I'm going to keep this secret for a while. So um, obviously I get to inform my friends. I was like, hey, guys, this is what happened. And of course, they thought it was the same April Fool thing yeah. But in reverse now. Exactly. I'm like, hey, this is real. Look. And I showed them, man, before you knew it, I mean, um, it became a big thing. And uh, 
finally, I had to inform the university mm -hmm. that uh, I'm going to um, discontinue my course and all of that. And they were like, okay, and um, try to get my transcript, of course, last minute. Because within this time, I had um, somewhere about three weeks yeah. to prepare and be ready to, because um, the visa, it's a six month long visa once it's given. Mm -hmm. um, so I was like, I'm not gonna take any further chance on this one. This, right, right. This year, I might as well just take it. That's a heck of a turnaround time. So you found out that you can that you can go mm -hmm. and, and you got your ticket in three weeks? Three weeks. Oh man. Yep, I had to, um, of course, again, the, the whole thing, um, the entire process, I would say, cost me around close to five grand. Wow. Total. Yeah. Um, and, of course, there was no way I would be able to afford that at that time. Mm -hmm. So I reached out to my friend. I was like, hey, let's make an agreement. If you can give me this in advance, one thing I'll promise you, get back to the U.S., um, get to the U.S., the first thing I'll do, work and pay you your money. And so that was basically the agreement. Um, I got that, and when I came, started working, paid back, and, you know, the rest is just, it's been 10 years, and uh, it's, it's, it's just been a, an amazing journey. Oh, man. So, um, so uh, being, being in America now, um, what, are, what are some of the things that you had, had to learn? Uh, because it, it's obviously a cultural difference. Absolutely. Um, and, and it seems like, you know, um, our, our way of immigration we kind of just throw you in the fire go, go figure it out right 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 so um so so how was that learning curve and and can you talk to us about the different cultural differences that you had to learn absolutely so um I think the very first one was uh, when I landed. It was a uh, JFK. Um, I remember it was late in the afternoon, and uh, my friend Nathan picked me up in his uh, parents' uh, blue Subaru. I still recall. Mm. Um, and then on our way, I think it was somewhere. I'm not sure if it's it was in Jersey or somewhere. We stopped at a McDonald's, and he bought me this a huge cheeseburger. And I was just like, of course, my palate at that time hasn't really yeah accustomed to all of that. So I was like, you know, and and in my culture, when someone gives you food, like it's rude for you to say no or, mm. or just turn down that because of course it's food. So. Even though the taste wasn't like really what I was expecting, but I was like, you know, shove the whole thing. And uh, when we got to the house, of course, the first thing was uh, sitting around the dinner table, and they were like, of course, they, they, oh, we're going to watch football. And here I was, I thought it was soccer. soccer. <laughs> <laughs> Oh man, <laughs> we're going to watch football before dinner. I was like, oh okay, and I got really excited and. Almost 20 minutes gone by, all I saw was a bunch of dudes just bumping against each other. And I, <laughs> and I thought maybe this is just like some sort of commercial or something. Yeah. And we all left. They're like, oh, it was a great game. And I think it was the Eagles that played that game. <laughs> <laughs> it's like a great game. And I was like, wait, is that the game? And it's like, yeah, that's football. Like, oh, okay. Um, that was like the first eye-opening moment. Mm. The second one was... Uh, Dinner was served. It's a mixture of uh, vegetables and some other stuff. And uh, they serve and we ate and everything. I was hoping that rice is going to come because my staple in Sierra Leone is rice. 
And when they said, oh, well, we're done, let's clean up the table. And I sat there, I was just looking at them, I was like, where's the rice? <laughs> I was like, where's the rice? And there was no rice. I was like, oh, okay. And uh, the, the, some few weeks after that, you know, normally the dinner table will ask about your day and how things are going and all mm -hmm. of that. There I was um, eating whatever the food that I was eating. I think it was corn or something of that nature. And uh, I had this corn in my mouth and they were asking me, um, how, was, uh, how was your day? Good. What did you do today? Uh, nothing. And this is my head bent down and mm -hmm. everyone is just like looking at me waiting for a response. I didn't know that. Um, so in Sierra Leone, even at the dinner table, it's considered rude to the cook because, and now I get to understand exactly why they were giving us all of those flimsy excuses. It's for the food not to go um, on the wrong track. But they never said that to us. It was more like, it's rude, you don't talk at the dinner table. I was like, okay, fine. Um, and then the second one was uh, um, eye contact. When I was talking, my head was bent down and mm -hmm. everyone was just like looking at me and you know, in my host family, they did a great job just like really trying to help me integrate. But also, I think they were also just really trying to be culturally sensitive to the fact that it's an adjustment. Yeah. Um, so one day I remember I was driving to uh, Mass one afternoon and uh, my host mom says, well, Thomas, here in America, I've no, yes. Yeah, Thomas, I've observed one thing. Like, when you talk, your head is always down. Um, is there anything going on? Um, so I explained to her. She says, oh, I'm so sorry. Mm. But here in America, when you talk, you don't look at people in there. Um, like, you don't look at the people you're talking to or someone you're talking to. It's considered rude. And I was like, oh, I have been rude all this time. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, I've been rude all this time. And we kind of laugh about it. And since then... Um, you know, but I also remember um, just really, it was in August I came, I arrived on uh, the 26th of August, mm. um, no, the 28th of August, and uh, it was, people were just downtown still enjoying the last yeah. bit of uh, sunshine they can catch and all of that. And there I was with layers walking around. <laughs> and they were like, people started looking at me downtown like, does it need psychiatric evaluation or what? <laughs> like, it's just me and the weather. Um, but then, obviously, as time progressed, I mean, there is this notion um, in Africa, a lot of, uh, and I'm pretty sure this is not only Africa, but most people who have uh, relatives from uh, um other developing nations, they think you come to the U.S., there is a money tree growing somewhere. <laughs> and so <laughs> my host dad, of course, they've been to Sierra Leone. Mm -hmm. They said, oh, we forget. And I was like, what is it? It's like, we haven't introduced you to something very important. I was like, what is it? It's like the money tree. And for some reason, I don't know what came to my, it's like a money tree. And I got so excited. I was like, so I went to my room, mm -hmm. made a list of all the things that I want to accomplish within one year. Like, yeah. I'm talking about thousands and thousands of dollars here, because now I know, okay, there is a money tree. And like, um, we went outside, and Mr. West looked at me and was like, you know there is no money tree in America. <laughs> Come on, he just crushed all my hopes. <laughs> I, said, I said, you just crushed all my hopes. He's like, yeah, the truth is, money is there. Mm. But you have to work for it. Yeah. And um, 
And obviously, I mean, I was working back in Sierra Leone. I was, uh, you know, involved in uh, so many things. And uh, I know what it means to work for what you um, what you get paid and all yeah. of that. But it's just like this notion. And uh, being that he's been there, he's had that experience with people asking him for money all the time. Mm -hmm. He said, I'll be honest with you, you're probably going to get those calls. Because we still get them with friends that we have there. And now it's your family. They're going to call you. But the truth is, you have to walk. And I was like, oh, I mean, I know this, but I mean, this is on a different level, especially when you wanted to introduce me to the money tree. <laughs> uh, did the money tree run away from me or what? <laughs> um, yeah, but I think just some of those little basic stuff, I would say basic, but yet very profound when mm. you look at it from a cultural context. Handshake, farm handshake and things like that. Um, you know, eye contact, for example, the food. I remember almost after a year, the first day I ate something closer to like a Sierra Leonean dish, mm -hmm. I thought I was in heaven, man. <laughs> oh, I was like, I went to New Jersey and there's a Sierra Leonean community. I was like, oh, wow. Lift my my sleeves. I, I was like, I'm ready. Bring it on. And everyone is like. They have spoons and all of that. I was like, who has time for spoons? S E O O S. Five fingers. Spoon. I'm like, give me something here. Um, but I, you know, and uh, we went back and shared that. I shared that experience with my host family, and uh, um, they sort of just, you know, it became a, a, a kind of like a, an inside joke every time. They're like. Thomas, did you bring your spoon? I was like, it's right here. <laughs> oh, man. Oh, man. So, um, so what were some of us, some of your toughest transitions um, with, with uh, integrating in American culture? Oh, yeah. Um, I think, so again, to this question of, um, you know, working hard and, you know, um, the American dream is very different for different people. And uh, obviously with that, there is um, this, I, I got really, I was very privileged in a sense that um, I was surrounded by people who, they introduced me to the reality of what it means to like really work hard and do whatever it is. So, um I took a job as a custodial, working night shift. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, during that process, I also sat with one of my mentors, um, Frank. He was like, hey, what do you want to do in the next five years? I said, well, I mean, I was in school. I still want to go back to school. He says, okay, here's what we'll do. Forget about taking any job that will pay you money right now in the sense that like big money or something of that nature said here is an opportunity it's not the best but i think it's definitely a pathway for you and i was like what was it this job as a custodial you'll be working overnight but one of the packs that comes with it is they'll pay for your schooling i was like oh okay i mean at this point i'm just like i'm down um so i took a job as a custodial and uh i did that for Three and a half years, mm. working um, third shift and going to school. Oh, my gosh. Yes. And this was uh, during uh, the, the, that crazy winter storm we had in 2013. Mm -hmm. My host family had traveled to Europe, and they have this huge property and an alleyway. 
and he one of the, the they, they pled with me that one thing we want you to do for us is for no one to fall on our property mm-hmm. while we're gone i was like okay so now i walk i will walk all night come back had to clean the snow and everything like that try to do homework catch some sleep and then get ready to repeat the process mm. so it became this endless cycle of just like really the same thing walk overnight come go to class do homework and for two and a half years going to my third year i wasn't even sure how i survived all of it right it was That's just, a grind it's man it was just like I, 24 hours wasn't even enough for uh, me. It sounds like it's it. Like, I was like, I need to create some space here, you know. There's nothing like really, truly socializing or anything like that because it was just constant grinding. You come back, you have this going, this going, mm-hmm. and all of that. Um, but, again, it was really one of uh, those decisions that really make a difference. Um, yeah. I where I am now, I'm very grateful that, you know, I had that initial support and I opening to say, hey, you have to choose what the long-term path is going to be. You know, you pay for it now, but then the long-term benefit is something that you'll ever be grateful for. Right. So, yeah. All right. So, uh, so let's, let's look at and talk at things, talk yeah. about things that, that are happening right now. So yeah. you've, um, you've, you've been in America for how long? 10 years. 10 years, yep. 10 years, 10 um. years. Uh, so, uh, so are you still on a visa? Did you uh, uh, go through the citizenship uh, um, uh, process? Um, I actually um, applied, <clears throat> excuse me, I applied for um, the citizenship. I, I, actually, I got a, uh, a message yesterday saying uh, they are processing it now because there was okay. a backlog during the pandemic I when I, I, I applied for it. But uh, um, that process is ongoing. So within maybe the next coming days, I should hear something with some good news around that. Awesome. Um, absolutely. And uh, But again, it's it's... So with the visa that I came with, you have to at least be in the States for five years mm-hmm. before you would apply. Oh, okay. Yes. So in my case, um, the green card that I had was a 10 years green card. And then <clears throat> when I applied, that was just before the pandemic. Everything shut down. I didn't hear. It's almost three years since I've applied and still waiting to get um some sort of a decision made around my application. But um, obviously once this stage is over, then um, that green card, of course, wouldn't even matter anymore because at that point I'm not a citizen. Yeah. Oh, man. Uh, so um, so this overall process, yep. this overall process, I, I mean, this, this, this sounds like a, a story of patience, um, a story of resilience, Absolutely. you know, um, what I like to say, a, a story of, of trusting your dopeness. Oh, yeah. You know, um, knowing knowing that you can do it um, re- regardless of, of what uh, what circumstances right, surrounding you. Right. Yeah. Right. Exactly. So what are you doing? What are you doing today? And uh, and what's next for you? Um, so um, I I. Was able. Uh, I graduated at uh, E Town. Um, got a business degree. Hey, congratulations. Uh, thank you. Yeah. Um, and it's been uh, almost uh, four years now, no five, um, since I graduated. And uh, within those five years, I've had the privilege of uh, you know working in different sectors. And was in banking for mm. a brief moment, and then left banking 
worked for a big retailer as a buyer and then transitioned from there. Now I'm also with another retailer whom um, I am a, a what is called a vendor income expert. Um, okay. That is what I do currently. But uh, over the years, obviously, I've seen both um, on a very personal level the trajectory of uh, how things have changed yeah. just with the different opportunities that have been uh, uh, that have been presented to me, and I've been able to really honest those for um, for the good. But like you said, I think the whole story, I think it, it's truly centered around just believing in yourself yes. and and also surrounding yourself with people who really have the foresight to guide you. Yeah. Because I can tell you even um, while I was going to school, I almost dropped out with just three credit left to graduate. Oh, man. That was exactly how close it was because around that time, I had my daughter and mm. no support system whatsoever outside yeah. of just uh, mentors that I have guiding me in that regard. Now I was faced with this this other cloud that is hanging above me yeah. of how do I navigate fatherhood, work, and yeah. the responsibilities that comes with being a family man and you know, um, it's it, it's it, it was at that time where I truly made that defining moment. I was like, you know what, I've suffered for a very long time, mm. and it would it would be foolish of me to just look all of that and just toss that in the drain and say, okay, it's done. Right. So I decided again. I was like, you know, this is the final lap to this race. Went back, finished the whole program, and. Uh, when that paper was finally, because I mean, I didn't even go to um, the, the the graduation. You didn't. I didn't. I was like, I mean, I felt I I felt really proud about the accomplishment. Yeah. But it was just also looking at all of the things that I've been through. I'm like, man, let let me just sit here and just take this in, you know? Because <laughs> I know you go to that graduation, you hear all this great speech mm -hmm. and like people say all of the things, the speeches that will come to it. Yes, obviously, it's kind of a refining moment. Yeah. But for me, it was just like, I'd rather just sit back and reflect on truly what I've accomplished within this short period. It's been yeah. five years. Within that five years, um, I can count on being a dad. I can count on having a, a, a university degree. I can yeah. count on having somewhat of a career. And I was like, I don't take none of this for granted. Right. I am very grateful, but I really need to take time and just really take all of it in and see how much of a a transformation it's been. Yeah, I can dig that. Uh, yeah. For for my master's degree, um, yeah. um, my master's I graduated from Morgan State, mm -hmm. and and I was the same way. Like I wasn't really worried about going to graduation. Yeah. It was just like you know what I want to take this moment, moment yeah. reflect on everything that yeah. I did because that that was a tumultuous time. Oh yeah, for me, and it's just like you, you know this this moment of Zen Z yeah. is going to speak more to me than than going to the graduation. To the graduation exactly. You know, uh, yeah. and 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 yeah, yeah, yeah. So um, uh, you you also uh, this is our our um, final question here. You you also are in a uh, football tournament right absolutely so um so there is uh, the the church world services um which really helps with uh, immigration um immigrants and uh, refugee resettlement um in lancaster they thought of this brilliant idea of uh, organizing 
of course, football, a.k.a. soccer <laughs> <laughs> tournament, um, because, of course, there's, a, there's been a lot of uh, immigrant population in, in Lancaster. Yeah. And there is one common theme that we share with a lot of us who have uh, made Lancaster home mm. of uh, having soccer being the sports we grew up yeah. playing, watching. And so they came up with uh, this idea of uh, a Unity Cup, which... Um, you know, as I shared in previous engagement, it's been truly um, a very defining moment mm. because I never knew some of the friendships that I built through the soccer tournament, um, the neighbors that I have that I didn't even realize. I mean, you're talking of 16 teams participating in this tournament. Yeah. And uh, these are people who now we've had even, you know, we had small groups where we do meet and just play pickup. Some days just like, let's watch Premier League together. Mm. You know, being around people with the same vibe, kind of like it's very uplifting, yeah. you know? And I discovered again, as I shared earlier, the immigrant experience is different, mm. yeah? Um, but also I knew there are people who share my story and who have a different story. But for us, every time we get to sit together, we get to talk about the common challenges and the opportunities that we see yeah. as we continue to navigate our way through. Thomas, I, I appreciate you. Coming through, coming on the Melanin Report and and telling telling your story. Um, um, I hope that this isn't the last time that you come up here. I feel like we have much, much, much to discuss. Um, you had that wonderful idea that I should make this a series where where I I speak to uh, um, people that have migrated here Absolutely. to to uh, America, and that was a beautiful idea. Yep. And yes. I'm going to do that. Perfect. <laughs> <laughs> and um, and and I wanted to give you uh, your your credit uh, for that because I don't want people to come up to me. Oh, Marquise, that was such a great idea. You know, uh, uh, no, that was that that was Brother Thomas's uh, great 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 idea. Uh, so um, before we head out and, and close it out, any uh, final words? Absolutely. Again, I just want to say um, thank you um, and uh, thank you to um, the WITF family yeah. for this opportunity. You know, um, having a platform like this to truly amplify our individual stories, it really, I think, reinforces what public media stands for, mm. educating, entertaining and informing people. Yes. And I believe this is exactly what we're doing. So, again, thank you for having me. And it's been an absolute pleasure. Oh, of course, of course. And that concludes part two of our series this week with our newsmaker, Thomas Senge. Again, I want to thank Thomas for joining us on The Melon Report. Thank you very much. Yes, yes. And in the words of, of Redman, now we know that, yeah, yeah, Redman might not be the most quotable person, but yeah, let's... <laughs> yeah. Let's, let's get that going. <laughs> Let, let's get it. Exactly. Uh, so, um, Redman says, I'm an artist, not a rapper. So my musical genres and library is way beyond the normal rapper. Mm. Don't put yourself mm. in a box. Absolutely. Yes. Absolutely. And on that note, folks, we'll see you on the other side. I'm Marquis Lupton. This is the Melon Report. Trust your dopeness.
that time of the week when your mind starts to see wanting to do your own thing makes you wanna do something sing. let's set the date baby so you can get to the floor your hair your nails dress and shoes is all that we need baby we can dance the night away want to step the stress away Some food and some wine Baby, tonight your light will shine Once you decide to let go Of all that's bothering you Now we take to the floor to Move to the left, move to the right Step up and take it back Let go of all the things on your mind And we can have a good time Baby, we can Step the stress away.
to the 